Whatever your payment plans, Visa, the world's leader in digital payments, is on hand with the expertise, programs, solutions, and partner networks to help make it happen. Bring your big idea to life. Partner with Visa to do it bigger and faster. Visit visa.co.uk slash fintech. You know, it's worth reflecting back and going, you know, I once said branded content wasted money. I don't think so. I think the right branded content that helps a customer and enhances you know, the experience is really valuable, and especially in the financial services space. Hello, and welcome to the FinTech Marketing Podcast, bringing you insights and ideas from the world's leading financial service marketers. I'm your host, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer of 11FS. I'm on a mission to learn how the world's hottest fintech startups and most innovative financial service brands drive growth through modern day marketing. Today's guest, a very special episode, Mr. David Weldon, who has a long career and impact in the world of marketing and advertising. He was the global director and VP of advertising at Coca-Cola. He was the president of BBDO Europe. He was the global director of brand and marketing communications at Vodafone, the MD of brand reputation and citizenship at Barclays, chief marketing officer at RBS, which became NatWest. And of course, that's where we met David and also currently the president emeritus of the World Federation of Advertisers. David, how are you doing? How are things in your world? I'm very well, Eric, and great to see you. Lovely to talk to you, and um, I'm doing well, all things considered. I mean, that President Emeritus thing, on the one hand, is a phenomenal honor, and on the other, does sound like my tombstone is ready for me. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. No, I'm good. How are you? You all right? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing great. It's busy, as always, but exciting times. Yeah, they they certainly are. So before we get into it, we have a, uh, I don't know if you remember, but we have a very interesting story about how we met the first meeting. I don't know if if you want to share, I should share, but maybe we can just set the scene a little bit of what that was like when we first sat down and met each other. Oh, that was that was so fantastic. Um, it is worth saying that Ross McEwen, my wonderful boss, described it to me afterwards as the best meeting he'd ever been in. <laughs> and why didn't we do that kind of thing more often? But um, what it was, it was one of those surprise meetings that pops into your diary. And it was me and my boss, Ross McEwen, Les Matheson, who ran the retail bank at the time, Ross's wonderful chief of staff, uh, Helen, and a guy who was running the innovation stuff in tech, Andy, who were introducing us to a man they'd met via his podcast, who, of course, you worked with, who was Gary V, um, as we now know him, Gary Vaynerchuk. And I don't know if you remember, David Breyer, CEO and my current boss at 11FS was there as well. It was one of those meetings where nobody's quite clear on what the agenda is. So, you know, when we started out, Helen said, well, why don't we just go around and we'll introduce ourselves uh, one by one. And why don't you start, Gary? So Gary started in very Gary fashion, giving his story, his backstory is fantastic for those that don't know, you know, um, immigrant who's done very, very well in the digital world and started VaynerMedia and he's not short of an opinion on marketing. So one of the things he started with in his in his intro, and he was going along quite nicely, but I kind of sat there, you know, that when your gut is waving something at you thinking this is not quite right. But then he said, look, I've come to tell you that you need to stop spending all your marketing money anywhere other than Facebook. Facebook is the future. It's all about Facebook. You've got to spend all your money in Facebook. And remember, he's the only person that's introduced himself. So I I sat there and thought, I know what I'm going to say. And I said, can I just wave my bullshit card? (laughs) 
It's exactly what you said. You remember. <laughs> and then, um, and, and actually, it is worth weaving in. This was because I had just been in some WFA meetings where they were pulling apart some of the latest data and metrics from Facebook and showing how unreliable they were um, not to be too rude about that. But we then set to a really good argument, much to the astonishment of everybody else who sat there. We didn't get through any more introductions, by the way. It was him and then an hour of just, you know, debate, but really good conversation. And obviously that led to us doing some work together when I was at VaynerMedia. And um, it was definitely one of his and my favorite meetings of the year as well. No, I, I likewise, because I think, the, you know, and as you know, we, we, we went on to work with you because one of the things I always used to say um, not long after I became a client is, you know, I ended up really having a lot of time for people from agencies who told me something I didn't already know yeah. or disagreed yeah. with me. Um, because the people that tell you everything you know and just agree with you really are unlikely to add much value. And Gary, Gary yeah. was sensationally good, actually, at, at kind of arguing the case and really gracious about the points that I was making too. But it did make for a sparky start. Yep. And I think that's a great um, perspective and philosophy to have, particularly as you get more senior, or particularly if you're on the client side and have a lot of partners who are looking to get more business from you, just having that philosophy of kind of seeking out people with different perspectives and people who are willing to challenge you. So I like that. So David, I mean, there's so much we can cover. I know, you know, like Gary, you are a man who's not short on opinion either. Why don't we get into it? What are you most excited about in the world of marketing right now? What do you want to talk about? I know there's a couple things that we touched on that we'll get into this conversation, but where do you want to start? Well, I think, you know, the, what's been interesting for me through the pandemic is I've not been in full-time work. You know, I, I stepped down from my last full-time role with what everybody tells me is immaculate timing as though it was intentional. <laughs> you know, at the end of March last year. And I've done enough to keep my brain ticking over, but I've watched lots of things going on, talked to lots of people. And I think I, I would start by saying I've been really impressed by how agencies have responded to the pandemic in general and been really, to use all those buzzwords, agile, finding new ways of working, finding ways of flattening things and getting faster and better all in one go. And that's particularly noticeable in the independent sector, because obviously the agencies that have struggled a bit more are those that still had a bottom line to worry yeah. about and had to make the revenue and costs work. And I think they've done well too, but um, struggled a bit more because of the quarterly reporting um, that they had to do. So that's been impressive. And it's been impressive too, to see how marketing has really managed to reassert its seat at the top table mostly by focusing, as they always should do, on customers. Um, how can we help our customers? What is it our products and services are doing to help them through this phase? Yep. Uh, and mostly by avoiding all of that guff that people did early on, which is, you know, right there with you and we're by your side and all of those things that nobody needed to hear. So I think it's been good to return to the focus on the customer, good to return to the focus on you know, what value do we bring to our customers and how can they extract more value from us at the same time we get value from them? And I think there's an overall opportunity now for marketing to reassert that it's the driver of growth. And the kind of key, for me, the key function to help do that in the collaboration that's now necessary in companies. Because if you then flip to the other side of the table, um, it's also very common to hear how companies have managed to find ways to do exactly the same, work faster, look after their colleagues better. 
And actually, there's some really fascinating data. One of the large consultancies was telling me, I, I won't say who it was, that you know they, they've actually seen their productivity increase by around about 50% since people have worked from home. And obviously, they've also seen um, the cost line go through, go right down, especially on travel and what loosely used to be called entertainment. And, and I, I kind of hope that they don't follow those two thoughts through <laughs> because you know, everybody's looking forward to returning to seeing each other uh, working together live and direct. But also, you know, this, this way of working brings a couple of interesting things. I was doing something last week where, and he won't mind me mentioning, Mark Evans, a fabulous guy who's the marketing lead at Direct Line, was sitting in Saatchi's, their agency, taking part in this call we were doing. And he was about to go out for lunch. But he did say, look, I've, we just done a meeting. There are five of us in the room, three people on Zoom. And the people on Zoom were really impatient with the human interaction that was going on and the fact that we were chatting. They just wanted to get on with it yeah. because you know it's been a very transactional way of working, faster but possibly less human. So I'm excited about the return of humanity to the piece, the return of some creativity because I think that's slightly suffered but you know marketing reasserting that it's a profession that we should all be proud to be involved in yeah I, I do think you know I think everybody's on this page at this point but where we're going to go back to is some type of hybrid with more flexibility for people to work from home or work remotely but also having some type of touch point in the office to drive that creativity, to drive that cohesion and that culture that's really hard to do remotely. But I think that's the piece that's going to be the trickiest part to figure out is if everybody's in the office, fine. If everybody's not in the office, fine. It's when some people are and some people aren't. And we haven't had much of that experience yet over the last 12 to 16 months. So that's going to be a big one to figure out. David, you mentioned um, you are optimistic and see marketing coming back to having a focus on the customer, a focus on driving business growth. I'm curious, you know, you have you have so much experience, you have decades of experience in marketing. What was it that brought marketing away from that if it's now coming back to it? Because to me, and I think a lot of people would say, that is the role of marketing. That is what it should always be doing. So why did it ever stray from that to now be in a position where it's coming back? Well, that, that's a fantastic question. And, and to be scrupulously fair, many marketeers didn't. Um, but there was a whole polemic um, driven, actually, often by even the marketing society in the UK. And I've seen the same thing in other countries where people would be going, why isn't marketing taken more seriously? And why aren't there more marketing people in the C-suite? And why aren't more CEOs from a marketing background? Now, actually, if you unpack all of that, there are a hell of a lot of CEOs who have a marketing background in the FTSE 100. There are an awful lot of marketeers sitting on the C-suite. And the ones that are worried about the future of marketing are usually the ones that aren't good enough. Um, but I do think the losing sight of the core basic principles is where some things went wrong. So to go back to, you know, the great digital promise when it arrived was a, a shiny new distraction for everybody. And every new medium and platform that came along was a shiny new distraction. And there was a bit too much focus on doing the shiny new for the sake of doing it rather than because it's the right thing to do for yeah. the customers. So I think we've been through a phase of that. I also think, you know, it's interesting because it is one of those disciplines that everybody thinks they're good at. You know, if you sit around the next co-table um, and start talking about marketing, everybody has an opinion. 
and everybody thinks they know exactly what you should do. If, on the other hand, you know, I started advising the chief risk officer that his risk models weren't right and I think he re should rethink them, people would have raised their eyebrows. So you have to get used to, you know, it's a profession that everybody's going to have an opinion on and you've got to show that you've got expertise, data, customer focus, and you're adding value and you've got to be positive about that, not fearful of it. So I think there was a possible fear caused by the cuts that come with most recessions. And if you look again at the data, you know, what marketeers were saying two months into the pandemic oh, it was, this is going to be bad. Our budgets are going to get cut. We're going to be reorganized. You know, it's all going to be a problem. And if you look at what they're saying now, they're much more optimistic, both on budgets and on organization. Now, they think that there are learnings to be applied, and that's not surprising. So you mentioned that you think creativity has maybe taken a, a bit of a hit in this period. What are the drivers for creativity that maybe have been less present recently and that could potentially come back more? And also focusing in on, for people listening, if they're in you know, a big bank or a larger organization or, or a smaller startup, how should they think about fostering creativity within their teams or their agency partners? Oh, that's a, that's a great multi-layered question. I mean, I think if I go back to my you know start as an ad man in the 80s you know when creativity really did make a difference and there was indeed data where people said they preferred the ads to the programming now you've got to remember those were in the days when there were only three or four channels with the proliferation of channels it hasn't led to a proliferation of either better programming or better work but that isn't what people say now you know so if you look at what people say about advertising now. They find it intrusive, objectionable, gets in the way of what they're doing and doesn't add enough value. And that is actually worse when you look at the data around the digital promise. So, you know, that promise that said, we're going to be able to personalize things because we know what your interests are, we know what you do and what you like and what you don't like. And actually, if you look at the reality of that, you know, Go buy a pair of shoes today and look forward when you buy them online to then being endlessly targeted by the same people trying to sell you shoes again and other people trying to sell you shoes. And you go, no, I bought shoes. Can you move on? Can you sell me some socks? So I, th you know, I think the application of creativity through the value chain is the missing bit. Yeah, and especially in, you know, there's a lot of fundamental shifts that are happening in the world of advertising and marketing now, not just COVID and the acceleration of all things digital, but particularly I'm thinking around the decline and eventual move away from cookie-based third-party data in advertising and everything that you said. And I think so much of how marketers and also just we as humans or consumers, you know, think about advertising online that's going to need to change and need to take a very different approach as well. I also think a lot about, you know, people like to say everybody's attention span has gone down moving online. I don't think it's about attention spans. I think it's just that people have more choice to what you said about there used to only be three more channels. They have more choice. They don't have to sit there and watch or listen to your, you know, content. If it's not good, they'll go do something else. So I think all of that comes back to, and, and maybe there is kind of like a macro cycle to point out here people were able to get away with maybe less creativity, less quality content, because they believed that they had the captive attention of their audience. 
But that's actually not the case. And so now the cream will rise to the top in terms of advertisers and brands that have a purpose, tell a compelling story, create engaging content, and distribute it to places where people are actually spending time, not just the perception of time or kind of broad media impression-based metrics. Yeah, and it's a bit like, you know, the... I used to describe branded content as the great red herring of our times. And I'm not sure that's right when I think now. So, you know, for instance, if you're taking out a mortgage and your bank can see that you're doing that, content about the complexities of buying a house and what you need to know and how you need to do it and the adjacencies of that and the services you can offer alongside that enhance the whole experience of taking out a mortgage. And you can see some of the smart companies really making the most of data to drive that and do that. Uh, and actually, you can also see customer data that says that's appreciated and it creates more stickiness and more loyalty. Because I do think that, you know, when I first arrived in banking, um, one of my early meetings at Barclays, somebody was talking about the loyal customer base that they had in retail. And I was going, no, 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 don't confuse inertia with loyalty. Are you sure they're actually loyal? So, yeah. you know, when we went off and did some proper research, it, it is indeed true that most people, once they've opened a bank account, stay with the one they've got. Now, that's changed dramatically, especially courtesy of the kind of things that you guys have been doing and the whole fintech offering, which makes for a better and more seamless customer experience. But to not lose the point, you know, the role of branded content when it's relevant and is serving the purpose of helping the customer more, I think is absolutely key. And it, and, and it's funny because I've reflected on, you know, rather like, I don't know whether Gary says things just to be outrageous and see to see what happens. But I do remember telling Nat Cummins, and you'll remember Nat, who's the CEO of Zenith. I said, Nat, you've got to help me because I'm opinionated and I say these things and I'm not sure whether they're really right. So, you know, Keep me on the right side of that. Don't let me say things that are entirely wrong because uh, you can't keep abreast of everything that's happening in marketing. I think that's what makes it exciting too. But, you know, it's worth reflecting back and going, you know, I once said branded content, wasted money. I don't think so. I think the right branded content that helps a customer and enhances, you know, the experience is really valuable and especially in the financial services space because, you know, if I look at um, what the NetWest Group are now doing, uh, with the apps they've got about saving, with the things they've built on money sense and financial education. That's wonderful to see, A, because it's very useful to customers, and B, because it's very in line with their purpose, and it's purposeful stuff. But you know, I, I certainly saw lots of money spent on things that I didn't consider to be enhancing the customer experience, and you have to be able to call that out when you're sitting in a bank as well. I think it is a constant in anyone who has any level of success over an extended period of time that they are willing to change their mind and actually, like we talked about earlier, seek out different opinions to then change their mind because it's so easy to get stuck in your ways and believe that even if you were right to begin with, that that will always be true. But it's the, it's the whole strong opinion, weakly held type of mentality that I think is so important to constantly be changing and evolving. And to what you said about branded content, agree with everything you said. The thing that I think about and really drives how I think about marketing at 11FS or really what I would recommend to anyone is it just comes down to how do you add value? And I think that's the right philosophy for how do you build a business. It's also the right philosophy for how do you build a brand. But in a world of more competition for people's dollars or their attention, 
you need to create something that's more valuable than what people can get elsewhere. And I don't think that that is a linear, okay, it's just like one step more value you need with so much more competition, again, for people's attention and their buying power, it needs to be exponentially more valuable. And I'm not sure that a lot of people have kind of gotten there yet. Branded content was a step in that direction, but I think people were still thinking about it with a more traditional mindset. Whereas I think you need to go a step further and actually say, all right, with this content, with the role of the brand, have a very clear purpose, but then create content and experiences that add value around that purpose for the audience you're trying to reach. Yeah, and I do think you know, that particularly uh, that P word purpose has caused some distractions where you know, some brands that really didn't need purpose in the sense that people were thinking, oh, what are we doing to make the planet a better place? They were going, oh, no, actually, what you need to do is make sure that the food you're making is made in the right sustainable fashion and is healthy and right and does the best thing, and then you need to market it properly. So I do think it's an interesting moment because this, you know, how effective is marketing using channel mix issue remains an intriguing one to me because what the data shows still is, you know, if you go multi-channel with a solid brand platform that you can conjugate across those channels, you'll drive more growth and more success because it's not an either or, you know, either TV or, you know, Facebook. It's you got to do both of them in the right way. You and I probably shared the experience. I don't know, actually, before I say this, did you watch Harry and Meghan um, live on television? No. Well, I did, and we won't talk about Harry and Meghan, but I realised as I was watching it how long ago it was since I had seen live television where I was a captive audience, mm. where there were ad breaks and, you know, you watched them because it was a live kind of water cooler piece of TV and how rare those things are. But, you know, those, there were some brands that had absolutely made the most of, right, we bought a spot in this, what are they going to be talking about? How are we going to use that moment to make the creativity get people's attention in a different way? And it was a real delight to see because it's a rare thing to see. But the, the brands that did that were the ones that all shared in common. They had a solid brand platform to start with, and they were yeah. just activating it in a different way. But it is, you know, it is what makes marketing interesting because it never stops. I mean, how are you finding it, Eric? I mean, have you, as you've switched from Gary's world to the fintech world, what have you seen differently? What do you look back at from Gary's world and go, not sure about that now? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's something I haven't really thought about. I mean... You know, I did. Uh, I worked for the guy for seven years, so there's definitely a lot of his philosophy that is deeply embedded in how I how I think about the world of marketing. I think one thing that we've really been, you know, the whole idea of adding value, I think, is built on a lot of the foundation of of uh, of what we did at VaynerMedia. The other thing that I've been pushing a lot and was something that we were developing at Vayner when I was leaving is just the idea which I think is also foreign to a lot of marketers who came up in more of a traditional path, that quantity of content matters just as much as quality of content. And, you know, everybody would always say quality matters more. And yes, you can't put out crap and expect it to make a difference. But the point is, and the thing that's different, and where I think a lot of people have not gotten yet, but I think 10 years from now, we'll look back on this and we will be in this position. In order to be relevant, and be effective in a world of fragmented attention, in a feed environment, you need to produce so much more content 
than you're comfortable with if you're thinking about a traditional world where you've got a campaign or a creative concept that then ladders into a 30-second TV spot that then you do matching luggage with in digital. It's just a completely different approach. And there's so much opportunity for the people that can take that approach and can set up their teams or their agency partners to produce a high volume of content to get feedback on what works and what doesn't. And I think that is a huge opportunity. Dynamic feedback loops on creative concepts that almost flips the above the line to below the line paradigm, where actually, if to what you said, you need a multi-channel marketing media mix to be really effective at scale, which I do agree with, there's certain limitations to scale within digital, and there's certain equity to offline media that is not the same yet in digital. But that is always going to be the premium and a big investment for any brand from their marketing dollars. And I don't think that most brands do enough testing below the line in digital to actually know what works before they put it above the line. Yeah, no, I think that fantastically well-made point, and that kind of leads us into you know, the in-house studio idea yeah. as well, because when I had the privilege recently of interviewing Connie Brahms, who's the chief digital and marketing officer at Unilever, um, she was talking about how successful their U studio has been internally, um, and particularly at this point, the volume of content and testing and learning and the speed of that and the speed of shifting ideas that work from one market to another in a way that is incomprehensible to the old model of you know a network agency working on a Unilever brand. And that pace probably couldn't have happened without having an internal studio, which I think they do with Oliver, is their partner to do that. And I know it's very active in 21 markets mm-hmm. now. But that is, you know, that's a real demonstration of test and learn at pace to get more effective results and indeed really good creativity. It's not just they're churning out crap. I mean, they're, they're doing good work. Yeah. I mean, you said it earlier, the whole idea of faster, better, cheaper. And Gary, you know, used to say this, I'm sure still does at VaynerMedia, it's all three. I know Martin Sorrell, you know, it's part of the the strategy for S4 and what he's building over there. It needs to be faster, better, and cheaper, which breaks the mold because everybody says you can have two out of the three, but that's the point. It takes a different mindset. It takes a different approach. It takes a different philosophy to be competitive if you're doing brand marketing the right way in the world of 2021. So you have to get there and it probably isn't just you know, swapping out the creative director from your agency or hiring a new brand manager. It's a fundamental shift in how you think about the structure of your in-house team and the partners around you. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think it's interesting though, because both Martin and Gary have rebuilt the full service agency for the modern era. Um, Yeah. So I, I grew up in a full service agency where media buying was done. And I do think that, you know, one of the biggest mistakes the advertising industry made was the separation of media and in fact, they've backpedaled pretty fast. So there isn't an advertising agency that doesn't at least have media planning in-house these days. It happened quickly, didn't it? it did. I mean, that was like five, five, six years or so. It happened happened really fast. Yeah, and I mean, the underneath that was the, you know, you could make lots of money through media, not necessarily in the right way. Yeah. And not enough money was made for creativity. And again, I don't think, yeah. you know, in the end, the clients must take the blame for everything, but it's the fault of the people who couldn't, describe the value that they were delivering and charge correctly for it. Not the fault of procurement, by the way, because other people who take a kicking who don't deserve it. So David, I also want to ask you, given your experience, I think you know there's a lot of people listening 
who you know obviously are in marketing it's a fintech marketing podcast but who aspire to be on a path to cmo what are your thoughts on the future of the cmo role three years five years seven years down down the line if somebody is coming up through the ranks and wants to have that cmo role at some point in the future what should they be thinking about what types of skills should they be trying to go out and get how do you view that role evolving in the future yeah i mean again there's a fascinating polemic around this endlessly about you know is the title dead is the role dead which i don't think is true i mean i do think you know first and foremost be a great marketeer and focus on the basics and doing that well secondly make sure depending on you know your you can't see the color of my hair eric can if you've got my color hair you know you have to bend over backwards to make sure you're digitally fluent because i didn't grow up with it but make sure you understand all of the changing world uh, driven through the changing channels. And it is things like, you know, how e-commerce is changing and the auctions that are happening in China and so on. So you've got to keep abreast of that. You don't have to be an expert. But probably the thing that I think is most undervalued and you can see rising is those things that, in my view, are incorrectly called soft skills. So, you know, have great empathy, know how to build good, effective relationships, know how to give... Yeah. feedback in the right way to help people learn and develop um, but you know don't shy away from giving the feedback but do it in the right way and and make sure you treat people the same way you'd like to be treated and so on so you know i guess to sum that up you know be a good human being and a really good marketeer and you'll go far yeah because uh, those leadership skills to put another veil across it are much needed around the table of all executive committees these days and and it strikes me as a good differentiator so you know again the marketeer of the 80s was the swaggeringly arrogant one um they don't get anywhere yep. these days you know you've got to have humility you've got to have expertise and you've got to have open eyes and open ears too and preferably a closed mouth most of the time i love that i totally agree i think that you know if you are a leader you are judged primarily on the output of the team around you. Like that is what's going to make or break your success. So I think that should always be the top priority and having those skills, and they are skills. I think we're still in an age where soft skills are considered something that you either have or you don't, but just like anything else, it's something you can learn and go develop. But the other thing is that I think is changing. Like you said, in, in the 80s, you know, somebody could have gotten away with that. In part, similar to what I was saying about it's not attention spans, it's choice, people have a lot more choice yeah. of where they can go work. They don't have to put up with that anymore. You know, people can get high if they live in London, they can get hired by a company in New York. It's not just the companies that they can commute to. Plus, there's so many up and coming startups, scale ups, challengers that are taking a much more people focused, culture centric approach to how they build their business. So people don't have to put up with a bad boss or a toxic culture like maybe they used to. So getting ahead of that and developing those skills to be able to be attractive to those people, retain those people, and build a culture that sets them up for success. You know, we can talk about smart marketing strategies and tactics all day. Those will always change. This will be a constant, no matter if it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, when you get to that level. Yeah, and no, I agree. And I, and I do think it's a thing that's been accentuated through the pandemic. So, you know, I talk to a lot of people who are disaffected with the way their companies have behaved. And, you know, the moment they get a chance, they'll be switching jobs. And that's a, I think there's a missing feedback loop there because it's also tough. You know, you need to be able to give feedback. You need to be able to receive it. Again, another great Ross McEwen yeah. quote, which 
we'd always he'd always say, now remember, feedback is a gift. <laughs> and then point out what you've done wrong mm-hmm. and how you could learn from mm-hmm. it and do better next time. But it is, you know, th- those things are worth focusing on, as is that, you know, always ask for help, yep. always seek out people who you can learn from and never stop learning. I mean, these are all the things I think I see that the great marketeers have. And actually there's some people who would be very generous with their time, so, you know, never be afraid to ask for help either. But it's it's interesting because to kind of pull a few of these strands together, I think the presumption of many people is to get ahead um, in a career, at some point you have to get out of marketing. So, you know, people who want to be a CEO think they have to go and do other things. I don't think so. I mean, I think some of the most effective CEOs, and again, you know, let's look at Unilever. Alan Jope um, is doing a fantastic job succeeding Paul Polman, marketeer by training and background, long-term Unilever careerist as well. You know, he's CEO of one of the largest companies in the world. He's done okay. He didn't even pass through being CMO of marketing either. I do think that one of the reasons that maybe you don't see as many CMOs on that CEO track is because traditionally, and I do think this is changing, the role hasn't been as commercially oriented as it could be. And so I think that to to what we're talking about, what are the skills of the future CMO or just, you know, good things to, to focus on if you're coming up the ranks right now commercial experience, commercial understanding. You know, for me, it's part of why I was interested in the role of VaynerMedia being MD of the office in London and also how my role evolved here at 11FS to be chief marketing and commercial officer, not just marketing. Because yeah. I think it's really important that you understand how a business operates, how a PL works, how what you do in marketing actually delivers business results, not just marketing results. Yeah, I, 100%. And to remember that it's business. It's a bit like, you know, when ever agencies are spouting off about what's going wrong in the world and creativity and so on. I go, listen, can I remind you that the people that pay your bills need their businesses to grow? Yes. That's what you're here for. You're not here in and of yourselves to do great work because agencies do get obsessed with themselves. And I understand the importance of great work and the great culture. But, you know, if you're obsessed about your clients' businesses and their customers, um, that's a good place to start. 100%. So David, we've covered a lot of ground. Is there anything else on your mind? Anything else you want to wave your bullshit card at or wave your opposite of bullshit card at? Anything that you're really passionate about that you want to share? Anything else before we we wrap up? No, I I do think, you know, I I would continue to wave my bullshit card at people who think that marketing is finished and that, you know, it's not as important as it used to be. It's extremely important. But, you know, how you find a way of doing it with humility for me is the real thing. And I think the, you know, it's a great honor to be asked to speak, even though I'm no longer working, for instance, which, you know, I take that as a, a strange kind of compliment because, you know, you worry when you stop full-time work that somehow or another you'll just disappear. Yeah. I've got no intention of disappearing. So, you know, I'm still alive. I'm still here. You can still talk to me whenever you want, but <laughs> thank you for asking me. I've really enjoyed it, Eric, and great to see you flourishing and great to talk about Gary V again. And um, what a memorable meeting. <laughs> I'm sure he would love a reunion with you at some point too. I know he really enjoyed it. And I do think before I wrap it up, you know, that quick point about humility is so important for everything that we talked about. Because the way I think about it, and you know, you said it in in different and in some ways better language, but I think self-awareness and the ability to take feedback are critical to be able to grow. Yeah. And the foundation that allows you to have both those things is humility. Exactly. 
Because if you are all ego and you think you know everything, you will never be self-aware and you will never actually listen to feedback when you get it or seek it out. Yeah. So I think, I think that point is so important. All right, David, this has been incredibly enjoyable, really an honor to have you on. And that's going to wrap things up for today. So where can people find out more about you, David? I'm on LinkedIn. I think most of it's on there. That's my social media of choice. I notice I haven't updated it to say anything other than the former CMO of the Royal Bank of Scotland group. One of these days, I'll get round to that. Guest on FinTech Marketing Podcast. That, that would work, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that would work. That would take me to the top of the league. <laughs> All right. Well, what a delight to talk to you, Eric. Great to see you. You too, David. So thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to find out more about 11FS, you know where to find us, 11FS.com. Please subscribe if you haven't already and would love if you could leave us a review. You can always reach me or the team here at 11FS. We are at 11FS on Twitter and LinkedIn. I am Eric at 11FS.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. We'll have many more episodes soon. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.